Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation. Welcome to the Believe in Raiders podcast. Podcast Network, I'm Dennis Akron. Pleased to be joined by former Raider great Stanford Route. Stan, how we doing? Oh, man, uh, pretty good. But obviously, uh, these Raiders, uh, they're one in three right now. Not looking good. Got uh, Monday Night Football coming against the Green Bay Packers coming up in a couple days. And you ask how I'm doing. Obviously, I'm alive, so I'm breathing, so I'm blessed. But uh, as far as these Raiders, uh, it's not looking good as far as my optimism uh, for them going down the stretch the rest of the season. Stan, for the second straight game, they dug themselves a big hole that they couldn't really dig out of. Uh, It's kind of opposite of what they did last year when they got out to all these big leads, couldn't hold on it, and eventually lost those games. Now, Josh Jacobs, uh, you just mentioned after the loss – um, to the, uh, oh my goodness, why am I blanking on who they lost to? <laughs> we lost the to the Chargers. Chargers. The Chargers. <laughs> See, the, all the losses are blending together, man. They're running all yes, together. Yes, trust me. I, I'm right there with you. I get it, DA. <laughs> uh, look, J- Jacobs expressed his frustration uh, with the team. He said, you know, we're five or six plays away from winning some of these games. Um, I don't know if I agree with that, uh, you know, watching the games. Sam, do you agree with him? And if that's the case, is it is this team on discipline? Is he calling out the coaches? Is he calling out his teammates? Or is it a combination of all of the above? You're asking me who is he calling out? Is it an indictment on the team? Is it an indictment on the coaches? Is it an indictment on the players? Is it an it's an indictment on everybody. It's an indictment on everybody. I think that he's probably been including himself in that, in that assessment of the indictment, just because um that's the thing about the NFL that the difference between whoever's going to finish with the worst record this year in the NFL versus whoever's going to win the Super Bowl, the difference between the best team and the worst team is probably about 25 to 30 plays throughout the entire season. So when he talks about five or six plays away, yeah, I do I do understand the point. I understand the context because there's certain plays that change momentum. Not only just that play specifically, but they change momentum. So a quarterback could simply have an interception that he throws, and that can lead to momentum that the other team gets the ball, good field position, and leads to a touchdown. But what if the quarterback just simply would have thrown it, uh, thrown it away? Well, now they're punting the ball, and the punter is able to swing field position. So, so certain plays can lead to others, and that's why the whole the whole adage of five to six plays de- uh, basically, you know, will decide the outcome of the game. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. But de- but definitely within the Raiders, you could see even just in the game that there are certain plays that are just inexcusable. There are certain plays that they have to make, or should I say don't give up. You see the second play of the game. You see a 40, 50-yard run play on the second play of the game, which probably would have gone for a touchdown if it hadn't been for uh for uh Mulrig, uh making the making the, the touchdown saving tackle. So that right there. That's that changes the complexity of the game already. And you're on the second play that changes the complexity of the defensive coordinators play call. So the, uh, so definitely uh, I, I agree with what Josh Jacobs is saying. I understand the sentiment because usually each game is probably decided within about, I'd say maybe at the most six to eight, maybe as most, maybe as many as 10 uh, plays that uh, decide the outcome. And I'm going to give you two that stand out to me. And I want to ask you, since you played eight years in the NFL and you played quarterback, tell me how 
David Long lines up offsides as a cornerback, negating a Max Crosby sack. Stan, did you ever line up <laughs> offsides in your career? No, I never lined up offsides, but I can understand why a corner would. Now, listen, I don't agree with it, but I can see why he would. A, you get in the game, maybe you're a little nervous, you're a little bit anxious, you're a little bit jittery, and you want to try to get a jam on your receiver, so you know what you're going to crowd the line of scrimmage. And a lot of times, corners forget, Some trust me, D-linemen do it too, that they forget that there's a such thing is called the neutral zone, where yeah, you're not off sides, but you're in the neutral zone. And if you're in the neutral zone, a referee will call that. So it's something that is crazy as it sounds. It's not as far-fetched as you think, DA. It's just something that doesn't happen a lot. But when you really factor in everything going through a corner's mind before the snap, it's not something that's completely outrageous. Uh, so obviously it's something that he can learn from, he'll grow from, and then hopefully he'll never make that mistake again. One thing that I used to always do, that if I'm going to get up to the line of scrimmage and I'm pressing my guy, which obviously we played a lot of man coverage for my years in Oakland, you always look at the ref. You look at the ref. There's always going to be a sideline judge right there. You go, you stare at him, you put your thumb up in the air. He will give you a thumbs up right back or he'll say something like, okay, hey, Go ahead and scoot back a little bit. So always, if you're going to get up to the line of scrimmage and press your receiver, you want to always get the okay. You want to always get the confirmation from the referee. That was something I always did. I'm not talking about it was clockwork. It was like a reflex. You get up to the line of scrimmage, look at the ref automatically. That way you know that you're not going to be in the neutral zone because it's his job to tell you if you look at him and ask him for confirmation, he's got to tell you if you're in the neutral zone or not. All right, Stan, another play that stood out to me, Jerry Tillery hitting Justin Herbert late on the sideline. Stan, I thought it was a dumb play. I thought it was a selfish play. It gave the Chargers an additional 15 yards, and it eventually led to another Charger touchdown. Stan, those are the type of plays, to me, that one in particular that led to Tillery's ejection. Those are the kinds that are just crippling the Raiders right now leading to these losses. Yeah, silly penalties. Obviously, uh, you got to be better than that. I mean, we look at the Kansas City Chiefs and Cincinnati Bengals last year, AFC title game. You're seeing Pat Mahomes is scrambling out of the pocket to his right, and you see the, the, the linebacker from Cincinnati goes on the sideline and hits him out of bounds, 15-yard penalty, puts Kansas City in field goal range. The rest is history. We already know that. And it just – Sometimes you just get beside yourself. Sometimes you just get um, – you kind of have an out-of-body experience where somebody's near the sideline and you go ahead, you get a little bit extra extra anxious and you hit them while they're out of bounds. And at times, I can tell you this, DA, at times, not necessarily saying every time, but at times where there's a split second where that – that 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 running that runner, the quarterback, the receiver, the running back, where they're in midair, where they're out of bounds. If you have the camera, the perfect angle, things like that, and you can clearly see he's out of bounds. But for a player, while everything is moving at warped speed, so when whenever they launch, from when they launched, they still felt that that player had a foot in bounds, even though they were in midair. But by the time they actually made contact. The player is clearly, even to the naked eye, out of bounds. And that's what happens a lot of times. So the defensive coordinators will tell you, you just got to be smart in those situations, especially right. with the quarterback. 
All right, let me get the promo read in, read in here, and then I'm going to come back. I'm going to try to be positive with the Raiders. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BLEAVE for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. RC on the Raiders defense, I want to talk about them a little bit. They held Justin Herbert just 167 passing yards. Uh, that was the lowest of his career. He completed just around 54% of his passes. You know, the Raiders had a couple sacks, both by Max Crosby, five tackles, uh, six tackles, beg your pardon, for loss, five quarterback hits. Dan, they actually had created their first turnover of the season. It was an interception. So let me ask you this. Yep. Uh, it was that progress. Did you see progress? Or do you think it was just a tease? Uh, I got to see more. I got to see more to not think that it's a tease, just because obviously the, uh, the one interception, obviously, by, Tra uh, by Trevor Mo Trevor Mulrig. Uh, I think that um, that's a good start. That's a good step. But definitely, we can clearly see what was the score going into halftime. 24-7. Exactly my point. So, yeah. They made some plays in the second half. We're able to go ahead and get back in the game and be able to somewhat make it exciting, be able to make it somewhat interesting. But nonetheless, for you to put out a fire that you created, I can't give you a whole lot of credit for that. So I think the defense still has a ways to go. And obviously, they're going to have to make sure that they come up with some plays to try to go ahead and thwart uh, Jordan Love and the rest of this Green Bay Packers offense. Dan, in the defenses, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll speak up for them. I usually don't. I'm usually pretty critical. The offense didn't do him any favors with mm -hmm. Aiden O'Connell's two fumbles uh, that turned into short touchdown drives for the Chargers. Dan, one more thing on this Charger game. Uh, the, 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 the interception O'Connell threw uh, to basically yeah. seal the win for the Chargers. Were you okay yep. with that play call, or would you like to see Josh Jacobs? 238 to go. You're down a touchdown. Uh, you're on, what, the three- or four-yard line. I was actually okay with it. I thought O'Connell was in a good rhythm. Uh, I thought he and Adams had something going. I yeah. saw a lot of people thought, thought they should have run the ball, but I don't know. I was okay with it. I just thought uh, Asante Samuel Jr. made a good play. Oh, yeah, he did. Uh, obviously, uh, the way that they were trying to set the pick uh, for the receiver, they didn't do it They didn't do it correctly, and that's why you're able to see Asante Samuel Jr. make such a clean break and be able to get that interception, which was a great play by him, by the way. Uh, but definitely, I, I, I could see why somebody would think, okay, you know what, just hand the ball off to Josh Jacobs. You know what, maybe that could have been the smart move, but I just think that in that play, it needs to be executed better. But for Aiden O'Connell, for him being a young guy, in the future, he'll be able to see, okay, you know what? Well, this play doesn't look right. Let me just throw it away, live to fight another down. That way, now, the next play, we can possibly go ahead and hand that ball off to Josh Jacobs. Arch Dan, we're a quarter of the way through the season. The Raiders are one and three. Do you have a team MVP? And uh, which player or players have been the biggest disappointment through the first quarter of the season to you? Uh, team MVP, I would have to go ahead and go with either Devontae Adams or Max Crosby. <laughs> Uh, those are the long bright spots on this team. So those would be my MVPs right now. I think disappointing. I think that's a stretch on the defense side of the ball. We weren't really expecting a lot from anybody on the defense side of the ball, not named Max Crosby. Uh, maybe disappointing. I would probably go ahead and go with Jimmy Garoppolo uh, because obviously he wasn't able to play last week. Uh, so he had to have the rookie start in front of him. 
or should I say start in his place? So I would probably go with Jimmy G as most disappointing so far in this early season, simply because on the defense side of the ball, we weren't expecting anything uh, high, high on the on the totem pole or just at a high level from anybody else outside of Crosby. Yeah, I agree with you, Stan. I'll probably go with either Devontae Adams on offense and probably Max Crosby on defense. Just looking at the numbers, Adams, 33 receptions, nearly 400 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, meanwhile, Crosby has four of the team's seven sacks. He's fourth in total tackles. Stan, I have a tie between my most disappointing, and I want to get your reaction to this. I think it is the rookie draft class, and I think it is the Raiders' offensive line. Now, first-round pick Tyree Wilson, no sacks, four mm -hmm. tackles. Tied in Michael Mayer, one reception. Third-round pick, Brian, Brian Young, beg your pardon, out of Alabama, one tackle. Fourth-round pick, Ja'Cory and Bennett. Now, he's had his ups and downs. He's a starter at corner. Um, the Raiders' O-line stand, they can't run block. They can't pass block. I mean, point in case was Khalil Mack on Sunday, six sacks. Uh, I don't know why McDaniels didn't make any adjustments, uh, get the protection to that side, but that's for another day. Um I just think it's mind-boggling how they didn't address the offensive line in the in the offseason. Uh, your thoughts on, on, on my uh, biggest disappointment so far? And you're saying the offensive line? The and, entire offensive line in the entire draft class, I think, are the two biggest disappointments so far. I don't think season. that's, a, uh, I don't think that's a, uh, an inaccurate statement. I would go with that. I'll take it a step further. When you really look at how Tyree Wilson played last year, in college, a lot of people thought he was a reach. A lot of people thought he was overdrafted. So that that's why I'm not uber disappointed because I was I was thinking that it was going to be a process. It was going to be a slow maturation process. So my expectation levels weren't high to begin with. Maybe that's the reason why I'm not disappointed, just like a lot of other people are, because. I'm not of the mindset of, okay, well, you know what? You were taking number seven overall, so that means that this year as a rookie, you need to be playing at a Pro Bowl level, and if you don't go to the Pro Bowl, you need to be somebody that was considered a Pro Bowl snub. It don't always work like that. So for me, that's why I don't readily already throw him out there as uh, being one of the most disappointing because my expectation levels weren't high to begin with. But I can definitely go with what you're saying. Obviously, the offensive line and the entire draft class, because once again, and here we go, is it that the draft class was disappointing because we expected more? Or once again, was it just because our expectations are high because they were drafted? So that's really, to me, where really in lies the rub, because they were drafted by the Raiders. And you look at where they were drafted at outside of Tyree Wilson. Are you really, really shocked or surprised that they're not panning out so far within the first month of the season? That's what you got to ask yourself. Stan, based on the Raiders' recent track record when it comes to draft picks, I'm not surprised that these guys aren't producing. But like you said, Wilson is kind of a project. But my gosh, Stan, you were 6-11 last year. You're supposed to be in a rebuild. You can't be taking projects with the seventh overall pick in the draft. That's uh, somebody who's got to step in from day one and be productive and try to make this football team better. Well, so, that's where. Well, that, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't want to interrupt you, but that's where it get that's where it gets tricky because think of it like this: in this year's draft, obviously you had receivers going high, you had uh, Witherspoon going to the Seattle Seahawks, you had Christian Gonzalez going to the uh, New England Patriots, and then you had a couple other first round corners and things like that. But at certain positions, 
Think about it. Were you did you really see a bevy of edge rushers in this year's draft that you knew were going to be bona fide studs the moment they hit the field? No, it was like you said more of a. I thought more of a like you said wide receiver and cornerback draft in particular. Now you now you can go ahead and make the argument that okay, you know what? I feel like we should take in the corner. We should take in that guy, uh, Devin Witherspoon. But oh yeah, that's right. Seattle picked before the Las Vegas Raiders. You could make the argument about okay, you know what? Uh, they should have picked uh, Christian Gonzalez and went to the Patriots. But guess what? He's out for the rest of the season. So I get the sentiment of we should have picked another position. But thinking that we need to find another bookend to match with Max Crosby for the next umpteen years, and it's simply not being somebody that is a stud, well, it really wasn't that many studs in the draft. So just because somebody is taken high, that doesn't always equate to the level of talent or ability that one would warrant them to have based on the draft position. Every year, there's going to be people that are overdrafted simply because of need. Every year, there's going to be people overdrafted because if I'm drafting number two overall and there are not a lot of studs in this year's in, in that year's college football class, then I'm just simply going to take somebody at number two that's probably pretty good but not great. But because he was taken at number two, everybody's going to put the expectations of him as a number two drafted player that he's supposed to be some perennial all-pro. And it don't always work like that if it's not a deep class. So that's where you always have to kind of you kind of have to go ahead and, and really, really slow down and think about that. And I think in this situation with him going number seven, they wanted to go defensive end. It wasn't a lot of defensive end or edge rushers in this draft that were going to be studs. They just took the best that was available. But that's what was available. But, you know, just like I know, the fans are going to always put your draft status. They're going to put that target on your back. Whether you whether whether it's it's whether it's fair or not, that's just how a lot of people are within the fans in the media. Well, let's hope that this uh, rookie class uh, can get better as the season moves along, and that offensive line somehow improves and starts opening up some holes from Josh Jacobs and does a better job of protecting the Raiders' quarterback, whoever that might be, moving forward. Whether it's Garoppolo or Aiden O'Connell. All right, Stan, I read this on Twitter, and I immediately thought of you. This is a poll question, courtesy of Ryan Holmes. I want to give him credit. Who has been worse in their second head coaching stint, considering talent give it to them? Is it Art Shell in 2006, or is it Josh McDaniels? <sighs> now, Art Shell was your coach in Yes, he was, 2006. <laughs> uh, we went 2-14 and 14 that year. We got blanked by about three teams. Um, I could tell you this, that. I would probably have to go and say who had a worse second stand. I would say Art Shell because we got blanked three times on national TV. Um, we went two and 14. That was a very, very tough year. So I would probably just go ahead and say Art Shell had the tougher second stand. Stan, the Raiders offense averaged 10 points that game in 2006. Yeah. Hey, yeah. who was the offensive coordinator? He was running a bed and breakfast place. And Archell probably out of retirement. I, I was like, I, man, oh, I, I forget so it. I, I forget his name. I forget oh. his name. But yeah, he was running something like a bed and breakfast or something like that. Yes. Well, look, at least in our in Archell's defense, the first time around for the Raiders, he did take them to the playoffs three times. McDaniel's is seven and fourteen in his second go around. Stan, three of those wins are against the Broncos, who I think are terrible. They're not really much better, even under yes. Sean Payton so far. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It's a wash, I think, at this point. 
I really do. I got a little trivia question for you. Are you ready? You're going to have mm-hmm. to think about Let's this. One. Think about this one, all right? All right. If the Packers defeat the Raiders Monday night, they will have beaten the silver and black in five different cities. Can you name them? The If the Packers beat the Raiders on Monday night, they'll have beaten the Raiders in five different cities. Um, obviously, one, Oakland. Yep. Uh, I would uh, Green Bay. Las Vegas would be the fifth one, assuming yep. that that was to happen, but I hope it doesn't. Right. Um, L.A., Oakland, yep. Las Vegas, Green Bay is four. Yep, you're missing one. You got to go and away. I'm going to give I you feel, a I, I, I feel like the other one was in a Super Bowl um, and That's was correct. before I was born, and so I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get that one. Um yeah, the fifth one was in a Super Bowl that was before I was born. So we got L.A., Oakland, Vegas, Green Bay, and the fifth one, I don't know. I'm just going to go ahead and concede. It was in a Super Bowl. It was before I was born, but it was in a Super Bowl somewhere. You are correct. It was Super Bowl two in Miami, and Green Bay beat uh, the Raiders by a score I of 33-14. Yeah, I, I would have never got that. <laughs> All right. Some people thought, you know, Stan, I don't know if you remember, if you're old enough to remember. Do you remember when the Packers used to play a couple of home games a year in Milwaukee? At Old County State. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. The Raiders never played. Apparently, the Raiders never played uh, the Packers uh, in Milwaukee. So, all right, Stan, as you mentioned earlier, the Raiders and the Packers, Monday night football. uh, I'm sure it's going to be a dominant crowd in terms of uh, a lot of cheeseheads and not much silver and black there in Vegas. What are you looking forward to this game? And uh, give me a prediction as well. Uh, I mean, just can they be consistent? Can they go ahead and make some plays? Can they go and take the ball out of the air, get some turnovers? Can we have some consistency within the offense? Can you protect the quarterback? Can you go ahead and try to stop the pass, uh, eliminate the big plays? I mean, you look for crying out loud. Look at the big 50-yarder that uh, that, that Herbert threw to Palmer with like a minute 40 left in the game. So I just you, you got to eliminate the big plays. Can they do that on the big stage? Can they do that at home at Allegiant Stadium? And I would go ahead and venture to say the Raiders 20 – Packers 23. Okay. So you're Stan, this is the first time I think you have picked against the Raiders in, in recent memory. So are, are you losing hope? Are you losing all faith in the silver and black right now? I'm just I'm just going off of uh, what I see on the screen. Uh so far this year, they've only beat the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos are one and three. They're not good as well. You look at how they lose into the Steelers on Sunday night football. They're losing to the Chargers out there in LA. You're just seeing what's going on, and that's why I think that the Red is going to put on somewhat of a good showing, but I think it's going to wind up being a loss based on what I've seen thus far. I hope to God that I'm wrong, but I got to go with what my gut is telling me. And so far, watching the film, watching it on TV, it doesn't look like they're going to come out with a victory this coming Monday night. Yeah, much like the Raiders, the Packers have been falling behind big in games as well. They rallied to beat the Saints, uh, but they couldn't do so against the Lions in their last time out. Yeah, Stan, I'm with you. I, unless the Raiders uh, show me something different, I don't expect them to win on Monday night. I'm thinking probably the same as you, 20 to 17. The Raiders are still the only team that has not scored 20 or more points in a game this season, exactly. which is just a head scratcher with, with the talent that they have on the offense. But we'll see if that changes on uh, Monday night against the Green Bay Packers. Let's hope we're both wrong. Let's hope the Raiders can actually uh, pull out their second one of the season. We'll have to wait and see, and we'll go from there. All right, Raider Nation, that's going to do it for this edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by betonline.ag. For my partner, Stanford Rapp, 
I'm Dennis Ackerman. Thanks so much for listening. May all your punts find the coffin corner. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.